Chapter Twelve of Starborn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Starborn by Andre Norton. Chapter Twelve: Alien Patrol. Raff leaned back against the wall. Long since the actions of the aliens in the storage house had ceased to interest him, since they would not allow any of the Terrans to approach their plunder, and he could not ask questions. Lablet continued to follow the officer about, vainly trying to understand his speech. And Hobart had taken his place by the upper entrance, his hand held stiffly across his body. The pilot knew that the captain was engaged in photographing all this activity with a wristband camera, hoping to make something of it later. But Raff's own inclination was to slip out and do some exploring in those underground corridors beyond. Having remained where he was for a wearisome time, he noticed that his presence was now taken for granted by the hurrying aliens who brushed about him intent upon their assignments, and slowly he began to edge along the wall toward the other doorway. Once he froze as the officers strode by, Lablet in attendance but what the painted warrior was looking for was a crystal box on a shelf to Raff's left. When he had pointed that out to an underling he was off again, and Raff was free to continue his crab's progress. Luck favoured him, for, as he reached the moment when he must duck out the portal, there was a sudden flurry at the other end of the chamber where four of the aliens, under a volley of orders, strove to move an unwieldy piece of intricate machinery. Raff dodged around the door and flattened back against the wall of the room beyond. The moving bars of sun said that it was midday, but the room was empty save for the despoiled carcass, and there was no sign of the aliens who had been sent out to scout. The Terran ran lightly down the narrow room to the second door, which gave on the lower pits beneath and the way to the arena. As he took that dark way he drew his stun-gun. Its bolt was intended to render the victim unconscious not to kill. But what effect it might have on the giant reptiles was a question he hoped he would not be forced to answer, and he paused now and then to listen. There were sounds, deceptive sounds, noises as regular as footfalls, like a distant padded running. The aliens returning? Or the things they had gone to hunt? Raff crept on, out into the sunshine which filled the arena. For the first time he studied the enclosure and recognized it for what it was, a place in which savage and bloody entertainments could be provided for the population of the city, and it merely confirmed his opinion of the aliens in all their ways. The temptation to explore the city was strong. He eyed the grills speculatively. They could be climbed, he was sure of that. Or he could try some other of the various openings about the sanded area but as he hesitated over his choice he heard something from behind. This was no unidentifiable noise, but a scream which held both terror and pain. It jerked him around, sent him running back almost before he thought. But the scream did not come again. However, there were other sounds, snuffing whines, a scrabbling. Raff found himself in the round rooms walled by the old prison cells. Stabs of light shot through the gloom, thrusting into a roiling black mass which had erupted through one of the entrances, and now held at bay one of the alien warriors. 
three or four of the black creatures ringed the alien in, moving with speed that eluded the bolts of light he shot from his weapon, keeping him cornered and from escape, while their fellows worried another alien limp and defenseless on the floor. It was impossible to align the sights of his stun-gun with any of those flitting shadows, Raff discovered. They moved as quickly as a ripple across a pond. He snapped the button on the hand-grip to spray, and proceeded to use the full strength of the charge across the group on the floor. For several seconds he was afraid that the stun-ray would prove to have no effect on the alien metabolism of the creatures, for their weaving, tearing activity did not cease. Then one after another dropped away from the center mass and lay unmoving on the floor. Seeing that he could control them, Raff turned his attention to the others about the standing warrior. Again he sent the spray wide, and they subsided. As the last curled on the pavement, the alien moved forward and, with a snarl, deliberately turned the full force of his beam weapon on each of the attackers but Raff ploughed on through the limp pile to the warrior they had pulled down. There was no hope of helping him. Death had come with a wide tear in his throat. Raff averted his eyes from the body. The other warrior was methodically killing the stunned animals, and his action held such vicious cruelty that Raff did not want to watch. When he looked again at the scene, it was to find the narrow barrel of the strange weapon pointed at him. Paying no attention to his dead comrade, the alien was advancing on the Terran as if in Raff he saw only another enemy to be burned down. Moves drilled in him by long hours of weary practice came almost automatically to the pilot. The stun gun faced the alien rifle sight to sight, and it seemed that the warrior had developed a hearty respect for the Terran arm during the past few minutes, for he slipped his weapon back to the crook of his arm as if he did not wish Raff to guess he had used it to threaten. The pilot had no idea what to do now. He did not wish to return to the storehouse, and he believed that the alien was not going to let him go off alone. The ferocity of the creatures now heaped about them had been sobering, an effective warning against venturing alone in these underground ways. His dilemma was solved by the entrance of a party of aliens from another doorway. They stopped short at the side of the battlefield, and their leader descended upon the surviving scout for an explanation, which was made with gestures Raff was able to translate in part. The alien had been far down one of the neighboring corridors with his dead companion when they had been tracked by the pack and had managed to reach this point before they were attacked. For some reason Raff could not understand, the aliens had preferred to flee rather than to face the menace of the hunters but they had not been fast enough, and had been trapped here. The gesturing hands then indicated Raff, acted out the battle which had ensued. Crossing to the Terran pilot, the alien officer held out his hand and motioned for Raff to surrender his weapon. The pilot shook his head. Did they think him so simple that he would disarm himself at the mere asking? Especially since the warrior had rounded on him like that only a few moments before? nor did he holster his gun. If they wanted to take it by force, just let them try such a move. His determination to resist must have gotten across to the leader, for he did not urge obedience to his orders. Instead he waved the Terran to join his own party. And since Raff had no reason not to, he did. Leaving the dead, both alien and enemy, where they had fallen, 
the warriors took another way out of the underground maze, a way which brought them out into a street running to the river. Here the party spread out, paying close attention to the pavement, as if they were engaged in tracking something. Raff saw impressed in one patch of earth a print dried by the sun, left by one of the reptiles. And there were smaller tracks he could not identify. All were inspected carefully, but none of them appeared to be what his companions sought. They trotted up and down along the river bank, and from what he had already observed concerning the aliens, Raff thought that the leader, at least, was showing exasperation and irritation. They expected to find something. It was not there. But it had to be. And they were fast reaching the point where they wanted to produce it themselves to justify the time spent in hunting for it. Ruthlessly they raided to death any creature their dragnet drove into the open, leaving feebly kicking bodies of the furry, long-legged beasts Raff had first seen after the landing of the spacer. He could not understand the reason for such wholesale extermination, since certainly the rabbit-like rodents were harmless. In the end they gave up their quest, and circled back to come out near the field where the flitter and the globe rested. When the Terran flyer came into sight, Raff left the party and hurried toward it. Sariki waved a welcoming hand. "'Bout time one of you showed up. What are they doing? Toting half the city here to load into that thing?' Raff looked along the other's pointing finger. A party of aliens towing a loaded dolly were headed for the gaping hatch of the globe, while a second party and an empty conveyance passed them on the way back to the storehouse. They are emptying a warehouse, or trying to. Well, they act as if old time himself were heating their tails with a rocket flare. What's the big hurry? Somebody's been here. Swiftly Raff outlined what he had seen in the city, and ended by describing the hunt in which he had taken an unwilling part. I'm hungry, he ended, and went to burrow for a ration pack. So mused Sariki, as Raff chewed the stuff which never had the flavor of fresh provisions. Somebody's been trying to beat the painted lads to it. The furry people? It was a spear shaft they found broken with a dead lizard thing, Raff commented, and some of those on the island were armed with spears. Must be good fighters, if armed with spears they brought down a reptile as big as you say. It was big, wasn't it? Raff stared at the city, a square of half-eaten concentrate in his fingers. Yes, that was a puzzler. The dead monster would be more than he would care to tackle without a blaster. And yet it was dead, with a smashed spear for evidence as to the manner of killing. All those others dead in the arena, too. How large a party had invaded the city? Where were they now? I'd like to know. He was speaking more to himself than to the Comtech. How they did do it. No other bodies. Those could have been taken away by their friends, Sariki suggested. But if they're still hanging about, I hope they won't believe that we're bigger and better editions of the painted lads. I don't want to spear through me. Raff, remembering the maze of lanes and streets, bordered by buildings which could provide hundreds of lurking places for attackers, which he had threaded with the confidence of ignorance earlier that day, began to realize why the aliens had been so nervous. 
Had a sniper with a blast rifle been stationed at a vantage point somewhere on the roofs today, none of them would have ever returned to this field. And even a few spacemen with good cover and accurate throwing arm could have cut down their number a quarter or a third. He was developing a strong distaste for those structures, and he had no intention of returning to the city again. He lounged about with Sariki for the rest of the afternoon, watching the ceaseless activity of the aliens. It was plain that they were intent upon packing into the cargo hold of their ship everything they could wrest from the storage house. As if they must make this trip count double. Was that because they had discovered that their treasure house was no longer inviolate? In the late afternoon Hobart and Lablet came back with one of the work teams. Lablet was still excited full of what he had seen, deduced, or guessed during the day. But the captain was very quiet and sober, and he unstrapped the wrist camera as soon as he reached the flitter, turning it over to Sariki. "'Run that through the ditto,' he ordered. "'I want two records as soon as we can get them.' The Comtech's eyebrows slid up. "'Think you might lose one, sir?' "'I don't know. Anyway, we'll play it safe with double records.' He accepted the ration-pack Raff had brought out for him, but he did not unwrap it at once. Instead he stared at the globe, digging the toe of his space-boot into the soil as if he were grinding something to powder. "'They're operating under full jets,' he commented, as if they were about due to be jumped. "'They told us that this was territory now held by their enemies,' Lablet reminded him. "'And who are these mysterious enemies?' the captain wanted to know. "'Those animals back on that island?' Raff wanted to say yes, but Lablet broke in with a question concerning what had happened to him, and the pilot outlined his adventures of the day, not forgetting to give emphasis to the incident in the celled room when the newly rescued alien had turned upon him. "'Naturally they are suspicious,' Lablet countered. But for a people who lack spaceflight, I find them unusually open-minded and ready to accept us, strange as we must seem to them. Ditto done, Captain. Sariki stepped out of the flitter, the wrist camera dangling from his fingers. Good. But Hobart did not buckle the strap about his arm once more, neither did he pay any attention to Lablet. Instead, apparently coming to some decision, he swung around to face Raff. You went out with that scouting party today. Think you could join them again, if you see them moving for another foray? I could try. Sure, Sariki chuckled. They couldn't do any more than pop him back at us. What do you think about them, sir? Are they fixin' to blast us? But the captain refused to be drawn. I'd just like to have a record of any more trips they'd make. He handed the camera to Raff. Put that on, and don't forget to trigger it if you do go. I don't believe they'll go out tonight. They aren't too fond of being out in the open in darkness. We saw that last night. But keep an eye on them in the morning. Yes, sir. Raff buckled on the wristband. He wished that Hobart would explain just what he was to look for. But the captain appeared to think that he had made everything perfectly plain. And he walked off with Lablet heading to the globe as if there were nothing more to be said. Sariki stretched. "'I'd say we better take it watch and watch,' he said slowly. 
The captain may think that they won't go off in the dark, but we don't know everything about them. Suppose we just keep an eye on them, and then you'll be ready to tail. Raff laughed. Tailing would be it. I don't think I'll have a second invitation, and if I get lost— But Sariki shook his head. That you won't. At least if you do, I'm going to make a homer out of you. Just tune in your helmet buzzer. It needed a comtech to think of a thing like that. A small adjustment to the earphones built into his helmet, and Sariki, operating the flitter comm, could give him a guide as efficient as the spacer's radar. He need not fear being lost in the streets should he lose touch with those he was spying upon. "'You're on course!' He pulled off his helmet and then glanced up to find Sariki smiling at him. "'Oh, we're not such a bad collection of space bums. Maybe you'll find that out some day, boy. They breezed you into this flight right out of training, didn't they?' "'Just about,' Raff admitted cautiously, on guard as ever against revealing too much of himself. After all, his experience was part of his record, which was open to anyone on board the spacer. Yes, he was not a veteran. They must all know that. Some day you'll lose a little of that suspicion, the Comtech continued, and find out that it isn't such a bad old world after all. Here, let's see if you're on the beam. He took the helmet out of Raff's hands and, drawing a small case of delicate instruments from his belt pouch, unscrewed the earplates of the comm device and made some adjustments. Now that will keep you on the buzzer without bursting your eardrums. Try it. Raff fastened on the helmet and started away from the flitter. The buzzer which he had expected to roar in his ears was only a faint drone, and above it he could easily hear other sounds. Yet it was there, and he tested it by a series of loops away from the flyer. Each time as he came on the true beam he was rewarded by a deepening of the muted note. Yes, he could be a homer with that, and at the same time be alert to any other noise in his vicinity. That's it! He paid credit where it was due. But he was unable to break his long habit of silence. Something within him still kept him wary of the Comtech's open friendliness. None of the aliens approached the flitter as the shadows began to draw in. The processions of moving teams stopped, and most of the burden-bearing warriors withdrew to the globe and stayed there. Sariki pointed this out. They're none too sure, themselves. Look as if they're closing up for the night. Indeed it did. The painted men had hauled up their ramp. The hatch in the globe closed with a definite snap. Seeing that, the Comtech laughed. We have a double reason for a strict watch. Suppose whatever they've been looking for jumps us. They're not worrying about that, it now appears. So they took watch and watch, three hours on and three hours in rest. When it came Raff's turn he did not remain sitting in the flitter, listening to the Comtech's heavy breathing, but walked a circular beat which took him into the darkness of the night in a path about the flyer. Overhead the stars were sharp and clear, glittering gem points but in the dead city no light showed, and he was sure that no aliens camped there to-night. He was sleeping when Sariki's grasp on his shoulder brought him to that instant alertness he had learned on field maneuvers half the galaxy away. Business. The Comtech's voice was not above a whisper as he leaned over the pilot. 
I think they're on the move. The light was the pale gray of pre-dawn. Raff pulled himself up with caution to look at the globe. The contact was right. A dark opening showed on the alien ship. They had released their hatch. He fastened his tunic, buckled on his equipment belt and helmet, strapped his boots. "'Here they come,' Sariki reported. "'One, two, five, no, six of them. And they're heading for the city. No dollies with them, but they're all armed.' Together the Terrans watched that patrol of alien warriors, their attitude suggesting that they hoped to pass unseen, hurry toward the city. Then Raff slipped out of the flyer. His dark clothing in this light should render him largely invisible. Sariki waved encouragingly, and the pilot answered with a quick salute, before he sped after his quarry. End of chapter.